Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host and I have a guy on. Y'all remember I had Larry Winget on the show not too long ago and he hit me up in Facebook Messenger and said, man, you got to have this guy on. And I, I literally just met this dude, but he is funnier than hell. This guy is a, a farm boy from Indiana. He is a, a, a speaker, an author. He has a new book out called Do Business Better. He's uh, I, the guy. I, I don't know him that well. I'm actually looking forward to hearing his whole story. So without any further from me, I want to introduce you to my new friend, Damian Mason. Damian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on here, Mr. Walls. I appreciate you making me a part of Breakthrough Walls, and I'm eager to talk to you and to your listeners. Well, dude, I, I appreciate you coming on. And, you know, I, I, I created this show. I mean, I've had um, – I grew up in farm country as well in Ohio, and, um, I, I, you know, I've just been – I broke away from all that. <laughs> I, I, I just did. I, I, it wasn't for me, and, and, and I, I've been incredibly blessed in my life and met some amazing people. And, and a year ago, this month actually, um, I decided to start this show up where I help people have breakthroughs. My wife is way smarter than me, so she came up with the name of the show, right? So, so it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. I've met some incredible people, and I've gotten emails and messages from people that are like, man, that dude you had on the other day really, you know, gave me some – it's just helping people, man. That's what it's about for me. So, Well, that's a noble cause, and I'm happy to be here. And if I can help your listeners and viewers, I'm all about it. You know, I've been out here for a long time, and I've seen a lot of stuff. And I guess that's, uh, that's what my book is about is all the stuff that I've seen. But anyway, go ahead. You're, you're in charge of the show. Where are we going here, Ken? Dude, yeah, well, let's, let's do this. Let's start with telling everybody um, who you are, where you were born and raised. Let's start there. Uh, I was raised on a farm in Huntington, Indiana. We were dairy farm people, but as I always point out, there's uh, there's, there's there's several misconceptions. You know, there's the conception that uh, farm people are all uh, you know out there with their bib overalls and a pitchfork and American Gothic. You know, that's not the picture of agriculture today or even 40 years ago when I was a kid. We milked cows. My dad worked nights on the railroad as a railroad clerk. He was in charge of crewing the trains. So mom and uh, and sometimes my dad when he wasn't on the railroad uh, and then my some of my siblings and I worked on the farm. So I was a dairy farm kid and we did not come from much. You know, my father was a herdsman, meaning his his family milked cows for other people, rich folks that uh, were industrialists that owned large farm operations in the 1930s and 40s employed my dad. So wow. we didn't come from much. Uh, so I'm a real, uh, uh, you know, blue collar kind of a guy. Uh, you know, some farm people, they've got thousands of acres of grandma's uh, uh, assets, and certainly that was not us. So I guess I've always been a, a worker and a saver and a business oriented guy. A lot of people that are uh, blue collar folks uh, end up being really hard workers, but if they are workers only, they're not entrepreneurial minded. And I always thought like how to be a business person, how to run my own business, how to pilot my own uh, plane. So that's kind of been my thing. I have a degree in agricultural economics from Purdue University. Wow. Uh, there I went into sales. I was in uh, sales for a couple of years. And then 1993, I was in San Diego, California, uh, working for my employer, which is the 
second largest manufacturer of lighting products on the planet, Cooper Industries, which is now part of Eaton Corporation. Uh, I won a Halloween costume contest in 1993. I was dressed up as Bill Clinton. And I've always been a funny kid. You know, I was a funny guy. I could imitate people and get a laugh. And I was the youngest from a large family. So when you're youngest, you're kind of a funny kid because you want to get attention. So I was a funny guy. And I could imitate people. I won a costume contest in Halloween of 1993 dressed up as President Bill Clinton. Then my company started using me at trade shows and sales meetings, uh, like in Las Vegas and whatnot, where I had to dress up as Bill Clinton at these convention shows and sales meetings. And it dawned on me, you know, maybe I could charge people for this act. So I quit my job in the summer of 1994. So it's 25 years now, beginning my 26th. 25 years down, which is a real big accomplishment, you know, in a world where you hear that 51% of businesses do not still have their doors open after five years. And there's always this thing people say, oh, well, the businesses fail. A lot of times they don't fail, Ken. A lot of times people just give up. So your listeners to break through walls, they're trying to get unstuck. You know what, people? It's not that you fail. Sometimes you just give up. And that is a real important thing. You can't give up. I quit my job to become a political comedian. I had three gigs lined up for the rest of my career, uh, totaling $1,200 of gross revenue. You know, people, always, <laughs> you know, people don't get it. They're like, oh, did you get discovered? You don't get discovered when you're doing this. You're a farm boy that turned into a corporate sales guy that quit his job to have a comedy act uh, in character of Bill Clinton. So, so, was, so hold, hold, on, hold on a minute. So how old were you? 25. 25 years old. Here you had this 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 really cool degree from Purdue, and 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 and, and that what you chose to, to go like that has nothing to do with ag. No, it doesn't. But remember the old <laughs> thing, uh, the old thing that Johnny Carson told Steve Martin. In fact, I talk about this in my book. Here's shameless promotion number one of my no, book. Dude, dude, promote the hell out of it. I want everybody to get it. Shameless promotion uh, episode number one of Do Business Better, my book, available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com via Wiley Publishing. Here's the thing. Johnny Carson had uh, had obviously a tremendous showbiz career. For folks that are your age and older, we all remember Johnny Carson. If you're yep. a younger person, he was, uh, you know, the... Uh, he was the Jay Leno, the David Letterman of, of his time, and then uh, even more so. He was the king of late night. He had Steve Martin on his show, and Steve Martin describes in his book <clears throat> called Born Standing Up that he got done with his first set ever on this night show, and Johnny Carson pulled him aside and said, son, you use everything you've ever learned in this business. And I have read that again and again because it's not lost on me. If you want to be successful, why would that only apply to comedy or show business, Ken? Right. It applies to everything. You should use everything you've ever learned. And I think that's what makes a successful comedy act and a successful comedian. There's the drive and the resilience and the work, and the vision, all the things I talk about to be successful because you look at yourself as a product and as an offering, as a service provider, yeah. and you also draw on everything. You've been to bad comedy shows. You've seen a bad comedy act. Yeah. And it's just dick jokes and, and lowbrow, dumbed-down material. The smart, successful comedy act is a great observer of everything and pulls from all of those resources. So, yeah, I am... Um, I know that there's probably folks that said just like you, you've got a degree in agricultural economics and you were in corporate sales for a Fortune 500 company. Now you're acting like Bill Clinton. 
Yeah, and you know what? When I'm in front of those 800 people at the the Las Vegas uh, sales meeting, right? Uh, and I stand up there and I'm funny, and then also I can turn and do a joke about something about the industry. Afterwards, what's always funny is that people would come up to you and say, "Hey, you're really funny. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty smart too." I'm like, "Well, hell yes, I'm smart." <laughs> All right. So are you gonna are you gonna give us your Bill Clinton impression? Come on, man. I'm all done with that. As I tell my crowds, <laughs> I don't do Bill Clinton anymore. Me and a thousand women say the same thing. <laughs> and his wife. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so so that's the background. You know, I got out of political comedy. I, I resurrected it briefly with the whole Hillary running for office. But you know what? What I learned, and this might be something that's very valuable for your listeners, I had a pretty, I'm not being arrogant, I had a pretty good career. You know, you start with nothing, and you're doing gigs in people's basements for $200. And I did a gig once for a liquor distributor for $400 and a case of Jim Bean. You know, that, and I don't even drink liquor. That's the thing. I, I don't even drink liquor. I gave it away as uh, I gave it away to, as Christmas presents to business <laughs> clients. Um, wow! But you're doing all these gigs when you start out in comedy, and that's what a lot of people, maybe some of your listeners, are starting their own business, want to start their own business, have started their own business. The claw, the 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 climb, the the rugged determination. And that is what truly does separate the winners from the losers. And I'm not being mean, but you've got folks that are here saying, well, I'd like to do this, but I want it. They're too comfortable and they are not willing to forego their comfort. I had a corporate Dude, job, you know, I, I just did a post about that very topic on Facebook yesterday. Literally sure. that same exact topic. Yeah, so you and I are dead on an agreement in this, and we're, we're basically the same age, you and I. Yeah. And, you know, when I quit my job, I remember folks that were our age now, 50, yeah. coming to me at age 25, and they said, gosh, I, I guess if I was your age, I'd probably just roll the marbles and do the same thing also. And I'm like, bullshit. You were my age, and you didn't. Right. So let's not pretend it's an age thing. Right. Well, if I didn't have kids, well, if I didn't have this commitment, no, again, bullshit. Right. You're not doing this because you don't have the fortitude. You are afraid to make yourself uncomfortable. Yep. You think it's comfortable dressing up as Bill Clinton and doing $100 gigs in somebody's <laughs> basement? I had to still pay off my Purdue student debt. I still had to pay off my Chevy Lumina. You know, I was a I was a broke blue collar kid in his, you know, at age twenty five, still paying off my debt. Right. So it's not about oh, if the opportunity is right, or oh, if everything was this way, and if I didn't have these commitments. No, you're lying to yourself. Yeah. You've got to be willing to make yourself uncomfortable, and it's not only trying new things; it's throwing yourself. You know, everybody wants to. They, they want training wheels. With arm floaties and water wings and life jackets and the Coast Guard, it's right. like no, you know what? They ain't gonna be, they ain't gonna be training wheels, water wings, life jackets, and the Coast Guard to protect you. No. Go get off, go get up there on the high dive and jump. Dude, and I, that's it. I, I've told this story before on here. I'll tell you, what, I had I had my car repossessed in front of my employees one time. That was a really fun day. Like this dude walks in. My, I, I'll never forget. He was a heavier set guy. Walks in. He's like, uh, boss. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, there's some dude peeking in the windows of your, your SUV. And I said, well, tell him to get the hell out of here. 
He's like, well, I would, but he's got it blocked with his tow truck. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, no, this isn't good. <laughs> so, you know, like, like it's a it's a battle, man. And it, but but I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, actually, uh, I again, shameless promotion number two of Do, Do Business Better, my book that your listeners can buy at uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble is the two right. best places to pick it up. Do Business Better by me, Damian Mason. I point out in here uh, that you shouldn't get you shouldn't get gun shy, but you should learn from your stuff. Yes. You know, when people say, looking back, I wouldn't change a thing. I think, are you stupid? I <laughs> change right. a lot of things. I, I would make this decision differently. Yes. I wouldn't have put my wife and I in in the we we went through a real setback and I can get to that later on. And I've been through a few setbacks because when you are a plunger and a hustler and a scrapper and your own business person, it just is going to work out that way that you sometimes you bite off more than you can chew. You, you know, you, you know. But by God, when people say I wouldn't change a thing, I change some decisions. Sure. <laughs> but but I wouldn't change I wouldn't change where I am now or the decisions I made at the time. I didn't know any better. I would change the decisions. Yes, I would do things differently, knowing what I know now. Yeah. But no, I'm real happy about this. And I get a tremendous amount of pride uh, looking around, saying, "Hey, I'm going to be 50 years old in a couple of months. I got a winter home in Arizona." Uh, it's not just about physical possessions. You know, I, I don't drive fancy cars. I've got a six-year-old Dodge pickup truck. You, you know, that's that's not the most important thing to me. The important thing is life and business by choice. Yeah. We still work for other people. You and I still answer the call. Uh, we, I was supposed to get on an airplane tomorrow and go to Pierre, South Dakota. That gig just actually got postponed because they're going to get 17 inches of snow here in the second week of April. Oh, my God. Uh, Wow. But, but, you know, that's actually one of my big initiatives. In the next five years, I want to get to where I don't have to go and beat the road during the terrible winter months because I don't like winter. That's why I bought a house in Arizona. Right. So, yeah, I live half the year in Phoenix. I live half the year at the farm, and I like it that way. But I, um, I want to get to where I don't have to go to Alberta in February in a few years. <laughs> right. Right, yeah. It's got to be cold there. So, so you know, as you went, so you, you decided to do this comedy thing, um, but it's, it sounds like it has, um, it sounds like it's, it's evolved. It, it, it's, it's gone beyond the comedy thing, although you're oh, funny. For God's sakes. Oh, for God's sakes. You know, Ken, this is another one. You know, you told, you described your listener to me and you said they listen to a show called Breakthrough Walls because they're looking for inspiration, guidance, insight, and how okay. to get unstuck. Right. All right, here's the thing about getting unstuck. Again, it's all about that comfort thing. Uh, if yeah, I could have made a living once we got to a certain level. And you know, just to describe to your listeners, comedy is a business. Uh, those that treat it like a business are successful, but even then, not terribly successful because it is a hard business. As I always point out, You've heard of open mic night. Everybody yeah. listening to the show has heard of open mic night. People that are aspiring to be in comedy go to some club in Dayton, Ohio on Tuesday night. They don't get paid. Sometimes they pay to get stage time. They have to uh, go there and work out their material. Yeah. And while they are there, while they're there working out the material, doing this for free, yeah. uh, they're trying like hell to get to where eventually they'll have a 20-minute set 
and they might make $400 a week working Wednesday night, Thursday night, two shows Friday night, two shows Saturday night. And that's after they've been doing it for free for a couple of years. You tell me, is there a thing called open accountant night where (laughs) you know, go in and and do taxes and file tax returns for people for free for two years, every Tuesday night to get to a level where they can then do it for a little bit of money. No, it's a hard business. Yeah. So the thing is, I always looked at it as I'm going to get paid to do this and every show I'm going to get better. Yeah. I'm going to make it better. Again, that's looking at yourself as a product. Yeah. A lot of the people that do comedy, they're funny, but they have ADHD and I do too, but they don't channel it. And you know, they spend their career smoking weed every night and sleeping on their buddy's couch and they're kind of funny, but they don't really push themselves and they don't treat it like a business. Right. I said a long time ago, comedy is show business. There's four letters in the word show. There's eight letters in the word business. Apply your energy proportionally. Put twice as much effort into the business as in the show. Yeah. And frankly, the show is the cost of entry. If you ain't got a show, you're sunk anyhow. So that's kind of like what your listeners are saying. All right, you sell widgets, boxes, services, cleaning, whatever it is, subway right. sandwiches. That's it's a given that you got the product. Right. Yeah, make it better each day, but. That's not just the show, meaning that still is the business because you're saying, what can I do to make this product better each day? And then also, how can I make it evolve? You said the word evolve. Yeah, I see people that are on the speaking circuit. And I see them get up and they do the exact same presentation that I saw them give 15 years ago. Yeah. All the platitudes and the starfish and the, you know, the nobody told the bumblebee he couldn't fly. And we've got to do And it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> how do you live with yourself? So I don't do I don't do the same thing I did uh, 20 years ago. I don't even do the same thing I did two years ago because we should always keep improving our product and evolving yep. to be relevant to a customer tomorrow because customers pay for what matters to them and what matters to them isn't Bill Clinton shows, but it's also not even what I was doing three years ago. Cause I want to make sure it continues to evolve. You know, I, 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 um, I won't bring up any names, but I, there is this, um, this guy that's that I know that's been on the speaking circuit a long, long time, and I've heard him speak. I don't know three or four times. I can. I, I mean, it's the same exact same speech every single time. And yep. and I heard somebody say, you know, well, as a speaker, you need to have your speech down. You need to have, and it needs to be the, deliver the same message, same speech every time. And I'm like, I don't get that. How? How do you hold an audience doing that? I, I don't. I don't get it. Well, I tell you, there's a if, if that's where comedy teaches you, uh, you know, shameless promotion number three of do business better. <laughs> I reference Richard Pryor, and again, this is not a book about comedy. It's right. not a book about comedy at all. It's just that I happen to have a background in comedy, sure. and I consider myself a businessman and a business person, and a business person who has been in comedy learns to look at themselves as a product and as a service and as a brand. Right. Richard Pryor had some bad habits. He was a drug user. He died because of it. Yeah. But Richard Pryor had some very good habits. Yeah. He was from Peoria, Illinois, and you could say genuinely possessed a Midwest work ethic. Yep. And one of the books about Richard Pryor that I read, a guy watched him for a week 
and said that Richard Pryor never delivered the same set twice. He obviously had the same material, yeah. but he tested new material, dropped in four minutes of something brand new on Thursday that he hadn't even done on Wednesday, dropped in some new nuances and changed the flow of the program from Thursday to Friday. That's working. That's yeah. what we're talking about. That's evolving. That's always kind of, kind of trying to improve the product. And that's what a lot of people in the say, well, I'm just stuck. You use the word stuck to describe some folks yeah. that are listening here to break through walls. It's because they refuse to try new things because of the comfort factor. And I know we always hear this and all the motivational speakers about, you just got to manage change. Bullshit. You've got to go jump off the high dive. You've right. got to go jump off the high dive. That's what it is. Again, you ain't going to wait on a Coast Guard to put your water wings on and, and, and your life jackets and three life uh, guards out there. And right. Just go jump off the high dive. And you really got to because it'll make you stronger. Now, you don't be stupid. You don't want to put your, your family to where they're like sleeping, you know, on a street. I get that. Yeah. But too many people use that as the reason why they're not doing anything. It goes back to my prior story. Yes, if I was 25, I would do this too. No, bullshit. You were 25 and you didn't. You know what you did? You went around and yeah. you went to the corporate meetings and you laughed really loudly at the boss's jokes and licked ass to try and get a promotion uh, because that's what you're capable of. Right. Let's not pretend that you're in this corporate job and if you were my age, you wouldn't be. No, you're here doing this because that's what's been the path of least resistance for you. Right. I, 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 I agree with you, man. <clears throat> we are definitely cut from the same cloth. So, so with with the uh, through your um, business career, I guess owning a business, being your own boss, um, I'm sure you've hired people, you have a team, all of that stuff. Um, but like, what are some of the the challenges that you've faced? Um, because I can I can personally I, and. And most of the people who watch this show that know me, they they've already heard a lot of this stuff, right? So I've been through the hard stuff. I've I have put myself and my family and not on purpose, but you know things have happened in business, man. That you just go, ah, oh, geez, I didn't see that one coming, or I believed this person, I trusted this guy or gal or whatever, and and things went sideways. But you know, what are some of the challenges you faced? Um, that, that like, you were like, I, we're not going to survive this. It's not uh, like it's over. Yeah. And you know, I appreciate you asking that. And anybody that has gotten through their first year, three, five years of running their business can relate to that Yeah, and can, and can absolutely probably give you a few examples. Now it's nice when people say, Oh, we've never had any struggles. <laughs> how, how can that be? Yeah. You know, I talked a little bit about the background because you asked, and yeah. again, the folks listening to this program are not only trying to break through walls themselves, they maybe have already broken through some walls. You know, I didn't come from much. I'm the youngest of nine children. Uh, right. You know, I paid my own way through college, my own cars, my own clothes, everything. And the benefit of that is I've been working since I was eight years old. When I quit my job at age 25, all those people that will never take a chance. They would say things like, oh my gosh, aren't you worried? Well, kinda, well, what's worry? You know, uh, I've always gotten by, I'll, I will make a living, I just won't be doing it for this large Fortune 500 company. Right. And then once you dial it in and you keep doing it, you, you do a bunch of things that don't work. Right. Now, 
You know, that's the important thing. I obviously don't do political comedy anymore. I used to do speeches at corporate events where I talk about business issues. I do a ton of stuff in agriculture because I'm a farm owner and I have a degree in agricultural economics and I keep up with it. Right. But those are the things that I earn revenue off of. But one thing that I have always done is I've been a saver. My one sister used to make the crack that I would, you know, 11 people in a farmhouse. I didn't have a bed. I slept in a corner of my mom and dad's room in a crib until I was six. And then they went and got an army cot at the uh, SNH Green Stamp store. Some of your older listeners know what that means. Yeah. Went in the coupons and got me an army cot. So I slept over in my mom and dad's room in a corner of the room in a cot until I was eight. And uh, I'd get my Halloween little orange pumpkin, and I'd go and fill it up with candy at Halloween. And then I'd give myself a piece of candy every day until Christmas when I got more candy. Wow. Uh, I've always understood the idea about saving and investing. Yeah. When I started making good money, two years into my political comedy career, things started busting loose. And then by uh, four, the four or five year window, I was doing TV shows, was in a couple of movies that your viewers have probably seen. And, you know, that's a world away. That's 20 years ago. But wow. uh, I always then lived pretty modestly compared to what I could have because I said, hey, man, I'm doing great. I've still got a nice car. I've got a comfortable life. I've got good cold beer. Uh, I've got uh, steak for dinner once a week. So I always lived below my means, and that really came in handy because by living below my means and having saved and invested, uh, and we went through a tremendous setback to get to where your, your question was. Yeah. 2001. I was a political comedian, and it was predicated on me dressing up as Bill Clinton. Well, he's leaving office. Right. We knew that was going to happen. Right. I knew we were, we were going to go from doing 90 or 100 comedy shows. And by the way, to the listeners, I didn't do clubs. I did starting out. But when you're good and you can do a good, clean, funny, smart, current events program, corporate events. So I was doing you know, sales meetings, trade shows, conferences with hundreds of people in them. So I knew that that was going to come to a big slowdown because Bill Clinton's going to leave office. What I didn't count on was September of 2001, the very year that I was going to be doing my transition, we were going to have the worst terrorist attack in the history of American soil. Yeah. Several thousand people die. Not only did conferences not happen, people were afraid to get on airplanes for right. a few months. Yeah. Airplanes didn't even fly for the first time in modern history. Airplanes did not fly for what? Three days in our country. Uh, it was eerily. Uh, you don't even, you know, I, I've talked about that. It was so eerily quiet yep. that, that you don't realize how much noise pollution there actually is overhead until it all stops. Yeah. So there's no airplanes. There's no conferences. I was already prepared to slow down down and I figured okay while things slow down I'll just I'll still be doing some comedy shows and then I'll get my next thing started my next business I had a million dollars in savings and investments so I'm like okay fine the problem is it came to a screeching halt airplanes stopped flying conferences stopped happening those conferences that did have me booked called to cancel because oh, they're not going to have the conference and sure as hell they don't want political comedy nobody laughs at political comedy after something is terrible as 9-11 right so then you say okay but you've got savings and investment yes 
And all of those investments got cut in half right when then all of a sudden I was going to need to draw off of them for my income. So we went through a tremendous setback for a couple of years. And I guess the valuable part for your listener is never think that your secure situation today can't change like that because I was already counting on a change in my product demand. I was not counting on a complete drop. I mean, a of product demand at the same time the world's in turmoil and your investments get cut in half when you say oh crap i need some of that investment money so it was a real tremendous uh learning curve but also it was stressful so when you say how bad was it by 2003 and 4 uh you know i was getting I wasn't washed out because I still had been very, very modest with my living right. and set money back. But, you know, we burned through 60% of uh, wow. Of, started selling off real estate and living off that. And wow. then I still was doing some uh, political comedy, but every nickel I made, I was trying to throw back in to get the next thing started. So then we're we're looking at golf courses. Tried to buy uh, uh, tried to buy car washes. Uh, tried to start a couple of businesses. Tried to retool my act, and it was about four years. I'm wearing a shirt right now that says reinvention. Yeah. Talk about reinvention in some of my speeches because I learned the time to reinvent isn't when you're pushed into the corner and have no choice. Right. Time to reinvent is preact proactively and preemptively. Yep. The thing is, Ken, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know. I thought I'm fine, but things were not only not fine; they were almost like just uh, emergency situation there for a few years. So, about four years in, I tell the story in my book. To be honest, it's a it's a it's a neat story that everybody that's listening to Breakthrough Walls can appreciate. It's in the very to the very end of the book. It's about your support. Every one of us is trying to pilot our own ship. Everyone that's out here trying to, you know, run your own enterprise. We don't have maybe employee, you know, hundred employees or two hundred employees. Maybe you do. Right, right. But you got your, you got your support. Yeah. And when we got to where we were really, really desperate, I decided, screw it, I'm just gonna go get a traditional job. So there it was, four years into my uh, terrible setback. You know, we're burning through, we're just bleeding, just bleeding through, burning through, using up money and savings. Uh, I'm still doing some, some work on stage, but not much. I, uh, my wife came home and I told her I'm going to start, a, I'm just going to get a job. I said, I spent the last three months calling everybody I know. Listen to the listeners of Breakthrough Walls. <clears throat> All those people that you have cultivated business relationships with over the last 10 years that say things like, hey, you know what? You ever get in a pickle, you need something, you just give me a call. Bullshit. Those people, will forget. They, they won't remember you. They'll pretend that, oh, oh, yeah, you're kin. Hey, yeah, oh, I heard you're having a bad time. Oh, okay. Well, you know what I'm thinking of you. That's if they take your call. Right. I call everybody, man. And it's not because they're terrible people. They're just people, right? That's, dude, people are... You've seen that that little meme or thing that, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're constantly worried about what everybody's thinking about you. And then it goes through. By the time you're like 70, you realize nobody is thinking about you. They're thinking about no. them. 
Yeah, people right. care about themselves. Valuable lesson, and I got a big chapter on this guy also. You know what? Be be a product and a service that matters. Yep. Because you got to be relevant, but also realize I've got a thing here about getting past what's holding you back, and it goes to that very thing right there. You're so hung up thinking that these people are judging you, and some of them are. You know what? They are generally focused on themselves because they're self-centered and that's the way they are. And I think it's actually gotten worse. I believe that we might be more self-centered, more uh, self-absorbed than we've ever been. I thought the baby boomers were the most self-absorbed generation on earth. And now the millennials are, you know, their avocado toast and their need for naps every day. And, and nobody understands their feelings. I'm like, oh, criminally, you're worse than this boomers. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, it changes with every generation. You know, my grandfather was in World War Two and, and, and geez, the way he talked about, you know, us us eighties kids, it was like, dude, relax, man. Like you uh, know. years ago, a friend of mine was a World War Two guy named Stan and he I invited him over to play cards sometimes because I liked him and he kept an eye on my house when I was traveling and we were playing cards one night. A friend of mine was dealing cards and he said stan have you always lived in phoenix have you ever lived anywhere that had crappy winters like where we're from and i said let me just tell you about stan he was born in hawaii and raised between hawaii and california now he lives in scottsdale arizona he's never suffered through a crappy winter stan didn't even look up from his card he said damien except for those three winters when i slept under my tank in germany you're right i've never had a bad winter Puts wow. things in perspective. Puts things in perspective pretty quick, doesn't it? it sure does, man. It sure does. So, so, so Damien, let me let, let me ask you let me ask you this question. So, you know, with with people, I, there's been times in in my life. Forget about business. Uh, although I've I've for the most part I've owned a, my own business my entire adult life. Um, I didn't go to college. I, I, it, it, my, my path was a little bit different, but, but you know, I, I've always owned a business of some kind, but there's been so many times in my life where I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm stuck and I don't know what to do. And I really, and there, there have been, and, and, you know, I know now it, it all goes back to the fears I was feeling and, and I was paralyzed and what, what do you think? What do you think the number one thing is that keeps people stuck? And by uh, the way, before you answer, the most popular answer to that question is fear. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. And so everybody's going to say fear. Okay, I can give you one more. The number one reason is they don't want to become uncomfortable. You know, uh, our buddy Winget that you had on your yep. show, that's yep. a friend of mine, you know, he always says, when people say, I just don't know what to do, what they're <laughs> really saying is, I just don't know what to do. That isn't work, isn't going to cause me to change, isn't going to make me change my lifestyle, and isn't going to make me actually have to uh, uh, confront some uh, issues I don't want to confront. You know what to do. Oh, you just man. Don't do it. Um, so that. I'd say the biggest issue on the stuck factor is they refuse to move themselves out of their comfort zone. It is hard. You know, I'm more entrepreneurial than many. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that some of your listeners are saying, Damien, you go around and talk for a living. That's not an entrepreneur. I'm out here. I invented an app. 
okay, true. We're not going to argue over degrees of entrepreneurialism. You know, Elon Musk might be a brilliant entrepreneur more than me, or he might be a con man. Right. You, know, you can largely point to the fact that Tesla's propped up by government tax programs, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, and, and I'm not going to get into any of that. Why argue over degrees of entrepreneurialism? All right, I'll willingly admit I don't have as much entrepreneurialism as some people. However, I created a life and a lifestyle and a net worth out of my own creativity. And that was my biggest goal. When all these other people want comfort, they want security, all that same people I told you, well, if I was 25, I'd probably do what you're doing. No bullshit, you wouldn't either. You know why? Because you're afraid to take any risk. Yep. In my book, fourth plug, in my book, I talk about the four <laughs> traits. Yes, okay, fifth. <laughs> I talk about the four unwavering traits of entrepreneurial success, and I completely believe it comes down to you better possess in your fiber, in your being, in your soul, you better possess a certain degree of risk tolerance, yep. drive and ambition, resilience, yep. and vision. Amen. Risk tolerance, drive, resilience, vision. And you know, I can really quickly go through those. Everybody thinks that somehow they're wanting security because that's a normal human thing. You know, that's why we all tried it together 2,000, 10,000 years ago and slept in a cave with other people. It, it was security. All right. Here's a newsflash for you. There ain't no such thing as a guarantee. Right. There's always going to be risk. There has always been risk. It's a matter of degrees. I use Evil Knievel as an example in my book because guys your age and my age loved Evil Knievel. I had Evil Knievel toys. Yeah. He's a risk taker. You don't have to be Evil Knievel to make it. But you know what? The idea that you're going to just sit and, and not have to put any money or any comfort at risk to get ahead ain't going to happen. Everything that I have is because I was willing to take a chance, take a risk. Try something new, invest in a product, start this new thing, own this new business, start a new speaking program, invest in that. So now we have three farms, we have investments, we've owned rental properties, and we have uh, my obviously my speaking business and a couple other things that we manage. That's not always without risk. In fact, it is with risk. Right. Then there's the drive, the drive part of it, Ken. You said, okay, I don't have a college degree. Let me just put that in perspective. A lot of people think that that matters more than it does. I mentioned mine only because I do so much work with agricultural companies. Yeah. They believe they believe that a degree in agricultural economics from Purdue has worth, and it does. Sure. However, there's people that believe their college degree entitles them to something, and it's like you're no more. You know more. I have no more respect for you than a, a welfare recipient. You think that because you've got a sheepskin somewhere and a diploma should give you some entitlement? Bullshit. You you know what? Your drive, your work ethic. I'm, I'm a B student, man. I think it's all about, I say all the time, perfect attendance trumps honor roll. So don't ever think for a second yeah. that grades matter. Pointed this out just the other day, Ken. I got a 380 out of 800 on the verbal portion of the SAT. Wow. Less than 50% of, of a completion. I just got a published book and I've been paid to talk for 25 years. So your test score 30 years ago should not dictate what you're doing today. Uh, dude, I, I and, and, and again, I'm a high school dropout. 
Like they told me in 12th grade, as I'm taking college prep courses and all this stuff, right, trig, and, and I'm, I'm an A student in trig and analytic geometry and calculus and all that, loved math, but I hated, with a passion, I hated biology. And so, so they're like, they call me in, you, you didn't get a biology credit. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not interested in dissecting frogs. And, and I understand how photosynthesis works. So let's just, let's roll, let's go. And, and, and they're like, well, you, you got to have the credit to graduate. And I'm like, oh, come on, just give me like, no. Like, and so I'm like, well then we're wasting each other's time. I got to go. And, and, and I, and I left that and, and I'm not bragging either, but I made more money my first year out of high school than most of the teachers at that school made. And, sure. and, and, you know, I, I like you, and I think, and I've said this before, I think every 18 year old kid on this planet should go work on a farm for the first year or two as an adult, as a young adult, or, you know, be in the military or something. But, but until you've bailed hay <laughs> in an emergency, because the rain's coming and you got to get the bales up and into the barn, like, if you've never done that in a pair of gym shorts, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's of course mechanization and autom automation has uh, changed that whole job. But yeah, oh, we worked yeah. really hard as a as a kid. You know, I was going to tell you about drive because I think that's a one of the four unwavering traits that people say. Well, you're lucky you were raised on a farm because you learned a work ethic. Well, Ken Walls wasn't raised on a farm, and you're a hard worker. Yeah. Work ethic is is taught. I suppose from parenting, but also it's a level of responsibility and discipline. Everybody acts like this is some magic little nugget that you either, you know what? Work is just discipline. Right. Hell, I don't want to. I don't want to work as hard as I do sometimes, but I know that I have a commitment to doing something right, and I want to get ahead, so I work. Right. And you know, you can say all day long. You said, oh, well, you said a magic nugget of wisdom. <laughs> No, right. it's not like something like something that someone like you know drips on your head as a little kid. Says, "Hey, we're gonna give this one work ethic, and this one over here we're not." It's not like a baptism, like, "Oh, you get the work ethic oil, and this one over here we decide we want him to be lazy." No, I don't work that way. It's discipline. Oh my god! Uh, that's you funny. know, so that's that's an important thing. I talk all the time about that, about the perfect attendance versus uh, honor roll. There are too many people that absolutely think that success is predicated on their academic achievement. We we judge kids from the time they are six until they're about 22 or three years old based on their grades. And here's the thing. Out here in the real world, nobody's asked me for my S. I tell people my SAT scores because I think it's funny because it proves, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't even get 50% out of the verbal portion of the SAT, and I am a paid speaker right. and writer. Right, right. <laughs> that, and that's it. That's it. There's you got to show I mean, up and do the work. You got to show up and do the work is what it comes down to. And also, I think there's a testament to guys like you and me. You can say, okay, I, I dropped out of uh, school. You probably make more of an effort to have lifelong learning than those that just assume, oh, well, you know, I, I did okay at school. Yeah, that was 32 years ago. Nobody cares. You're 50. I don't care what happened when you – I don't care that you had a yellow sash around your neck at high school commencement. If you're still caught up in what happened when you're 18, I feel sorry for you. Amen. You, you can 
can attribute your success to the fact that you keep plodding along. And you know what I just tell my friends yesterday, two days ago? I have the dictionary.com app on my phone because it dawns on me that my vocabulary is not bad, but it still is getting better. And when I read the Wall Street Journal on a cross-country flight, which I try to read every day, and every day that I travel, I'm reading newspapers and books. I pull up the dictionary app and I say, boy, I, what was that word again? Because I want to continue, and I'm 50 years old. Yep. So lifelong learning, and that's all, again, part of drive and ambition. Dude, that is, that I have the dictionary app on my phone, too. I, every day, and I'm just going to be real, I normally just go to the Google app and say, define whatever, and, and, and I get it that way. But every single day of my life, I, I, I'm, I, define, I look up words because I might – might not understand it. I mean, I I flunked biology, so I'm 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 a dumbass. I can't help it. So like, you know, hey, I'm by like, the way, by the way, Ken, you know what? There's a thing about that also. Some might say it's a chip on your shoulder, but let's not pretend that you flunking biology doesn't make you stronger in the oh. long run. Uh, again, yep. I use I use the example in my book. I. I flunked a class at Purdue on personal finance and it's because I was partying and drinking and I was a 21 year old kid and I just, I had to take it a second time. Taking that class twice meant that I really got it once. Right. And now at age 50 with, you know, a pretty good net worth and, and holdings and whatnot, I am so glad that I took that because the principles, okay, some things change from 1990 till today, right. but let's not pretend the principles of finance have changed. And, <laughs> right. and so I'm so glad I took that class. So failure makes you stronger sure if does. you learn from your failure. Sure does. Amen. So if let, let me ask you this, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. But let me ask you this: I ask every guest the same question towards the end right. of the show, um, and that is if. If somebody called you, I have a feeling I know the answer. By the way, I got to make a, 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 an observation. Um, there are times when you're talking that you sound exactly like Johnny Carson. I mean, like, if I had my eyes closed, I'd be like, holy crap, Johnny Carson's alive again. And then there's times when you sound like Bill Clinton, dude. I don't, you're not even trying. That, that's just coming out natural. Uh, well, here's the thing, Ken. If I was trying to talk like Bill Clinton, you'd know I was trying to talk just like Bill Clinton. Oh my God. That, that dude, that's beautiful. So, so if somebody called you and said, said, look, man, Damien, I'm stuck. I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, my car was repoed last week. My electric's being shut off tomorrow. I'm doing everything I know how to do, and I just can't figure it out. What What are you going to tell them? What, how How do you help that person? Because you know and I know it's right here. It starts right there. But what are you going to say to help them get through that in that moment? Or are you going to hang up on them? No, I'm not going to hang up on them because I've been there. And uh, like I said, I know that when I was going through a lot of setbacks, I called people not because I wanted to – cry not because i want the wine i didn't call them for any of those reasons i called them because i wanted an opportunity and sometimes i said you know i've got a work ethic i know you got pride sometimes i was saying what if you threw things to me and i was you know work for you on a contractual basis i just need 
main thing is what really started to gel for me was I, I was going to get a job when I was in my third, fourth year of, of meltdown. And I finally called everybody I knew and said, can I get a job? You know, and then I met, interviewed people, you know, met with them. And then someone offered me a sales job. So my wife comes home and I said, honey, I'm going to get a job. I, I, I've been, I feel like a failure. Uh, I said, I spent four years, we've blown through our net worth. I continue to try and throw stuff at the wall, nothing sticking. You know, we've done five different tries at businesses and yeah. all this crap. And I said, I'm going to take this job. And then my wife said, Damien, don't take that job. She said, if you take that job, your spirit will be crushed. You, your, your enthusiasm, your creativity, all the things that make you tick are going to go out the way. She says, I know you'll be fine at it because you're a hard worker and you know how to sell stuff. But if you take that job, your spirit will be crushed. And I don't want to live with a Damien Mays new spirit is crushed. You do not take that job. Now, I about cry still telling that story because that's, that's truth and critical feedback. Yeah. So you asked me a question. If someone called me that was in, you know, they're in the crap. They're having a hard time. They're in their third year of meltdown or whatever. First off, I'd say, are you really, are you really in that bad of a meltdown? And what, you know, I, I go through that. But what people need is truth and critical feedback. And too many folks, their psyche and their their little emotions can't handle it. And so they think support is someone saying, oh, gosh, well, you tried. You know, you tried. I say, did you really try? Because I'm going to call bullshit. I'm going to say you probably didn't try. You probably just need a kick in the shorts. And that's support also. A kick in the shorts is support. Accountability is support. Honesty is support. My wife didn't kick me in the shorts, but she said, you're not made to have a sales job when you've worked this hard to have your own thing. Right. You'll get the next one right. You know, and that's that's hard to say after four years of meltdown mode and going through the the crap. So I would give truth and critical feedback. I would tell that person that was struggling, all right, do you have goals? Let's start with the goal and then maybe even pare them down because goal number one is getting out of this funk. Goal number two is getting your finances in order because you know what? Work begets work and progress begets progress. And then when you start seeing, like look at the person that calls the Dave Ramsey show and they talk about being a, you know, $30,000 in credit card debt and now they're credit card free and they're making payments ahead on their mortgage. There's euphoria in the person's voice because they're Work begets work, progress begets progress. So I'd give them truth and critical feedback. I'd call them on the rug and say, what's your real support? You get kicked in the shorts and a level of accountability. And then we talk about discipline. Most people don't have a meltdown uh, and, and, and then just, you know, get better. They need to be disciplined to get through it. And that goes back to you've got to have the work ethic and be willing to make yourself uncomfortable. So that's really most problems. Winget wrote the book forward for this, yeah. <laughs> and he says point blank, everybody's out here looking for complex million-dollar solutions to problems that are really quite simple. I give you simple solutions because most problems are simple. Most things do not require uh, an MBA from Harvard, right. which doesn't really matter. It turns out. If your mom's rich, you can get an MBA from Harvard, and they'll just Photoshop your picture on, like, the head of uh, uh, Brett Favre. So he played football. Anyway, most most problems do not require uh, a lot of complexity. It's pretty simple. But it comes back to this one. You know, I talked about vision. That's the other one I said 
the four unwavering traits and resilience. You've got a person that's really, you know, they're in the, they're in the grease. They're having a hard time. And you're saying they're stuck. All right. Stuck. So there they are. They're stuck. I love that, dude. Resilience. Resilience is the most important thing. Of the four unwavering traits, I can talk about drive because, again, you ain't got to be an honor student. You just got to show up at perfect attendance to Trump's honor roll. Yeah. But you got to show up and work. But I think resilience the ability to get back up off the mat and go at it again is the most important thing. And then when I say vision, that person that's needing to break through walls, what do they want their life to look like? Oh, I just want to be happy. My dog just wants to be happy. What the <laughs> hell does that mean? I just want to be happy. Ah, yeah, it's such a vapid, look that up on dictionary.com, vapid, ridiculous, Airheaded statement. I just want to be happy. Happiness doesn't just float around and it's, it's like work ethic. It doesn't just come and anoint you. No, it <laughs> happens by active choice. So that's the vision part. You tell me what you want your life to look like, and I'll help you out of your uh, quicksand. Wow, dude, like I love it. So I, how how okay? So how does how does number one? How's everybody follow you? Where where are you most active? Uh, I got a tremendous Facebook following. Damian Mason, professional speaker. Damian Mason, professional speaker, is my Facebook fan and follower page. And I put stuff up there three times a day. I'll put some stuff out there about the food and agriculture business. And I'll put stuff out there about personal development and, and running your business successfully. LinkedIn, Damian Mason, D A M I A N. Yep. So Facebook is big. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, at Damian P. Mason at Damien P as in Patrick Mason, and then on Instagram, which I'm doing more of nowadays, but I don't like it because I can't put as much commentary out there. So please do keep up with me. You can find me at DamienMason.com. You can buy my new book, Do Business Better, which I'm telling you, it's only 17 or 18 bucks online. Yeah. This will save you at least a couple of years. I told you about my four-year setback. It cost me a hell of a lot more than 17 or 18 bucks. This will take you three hours to read and 18 bucks. And if it saves you a year of frustration, I'd say that that's one good ROI. Let me let me finish this with this last question. You just made me think of it, too. When your meltdown started back in, oh, what? One. Oh, well, well September 11th of okay. 01. Oh, so two. Yeah. My, my wife just put your, your website address in, DamienMason.com. Um, in the comments, but so go back to that when the meltdown started, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? What would you do? What would you have done differently? Would you have not wasted all that time calling people whining and looking for a job or <laughs> what would you have done? Yeah, I would have. Uh, there's a couple things. Um, we changed location and we went to an area of lesser opportunity thinking that it was more comfortable. Uh, and in other words, we had a place in Arizona, a marketplace of 4 million people, and I sold it because it had good market value yeah. when things were melting. And then I sold it because it was that whole run up of real estate yep. and, went, and went to the first farm I ever owned was in the middle of nowhere. It's a, it was a barn with an apartment built in the end of it, and it was on 130 acres. It was a hunting, fishing, recreation property that was just supposed to be for summer and fall, you know, visits. Right. I pared down and went and lived basically at my at my cabin. And the mm. thing is, 
when you're living full time at your cabin, there ain't no Wall Street Journal there. The internet is barely even functional, and there's no people to get together with to talk about your next business venture. Right. So I went to a I went to a non-enterprise zone, and that was really unstimulating. So I would have changed that decision. I would have stayed where there was energy yep. and, shall we say, um, uh, opportunity in terms of the numbers of people and the environment. Uh, I would have probably. Uh, told my wife, you know what, just to help things along, you're going to go back to, because she was, she worked, then I, we had her not working. I would have probably said, you know, you go back to work at least, then we've got the insurance and that enough to pay the base bills. And that way everything I'm doing can keep uh, obligating the next business venture. Right. And, and I would have pulled the trigger faster. I made the mistake of thinking it wasn't going to take as long. And so all of your listeners that say they're stuck, don't think it's going to take you a few months. You'll get better in a few months and you'll start thinking more clearly with discipline in a few months. But the idea that the horizon is only going to be six months or 12 months, it was four to five years for me. And when it got better for me, I decided I had too much time in my hands and I really needed to work until I was exhausted. Call up a friend of mine with a landscaping business. He was overwhelmed. He made me a subsidiary of him. I started my own little venture, and I did landscaping about two days a week for a year, and I just took the heat off of him. He said, here's these jobs I can't do. You and your guys go do them. You go to bed exhausted after landscaping two days a week. Then when you're at your desk working on your next business venture the other day, yeah. you're pretty damn dialed in because you say, well, first off, my back hurts, and I slept last night rather than festering. Right. 12 hours on the end of a rake and a, on, a, on a lawnmower wore me out. That actually was really, really kind of salvation, not because of the bit of money I made being a landscaper, but because it caused me, forced me to yeah. dial back in. Dude, that's that's awesome, man. I love I love it. And you're right. I agree with you. It never goes as fast as you think it's going to go. <laughs> it just doesn't. Yeah. No, and the thing is, it's not because you shouldn't be like complacent and say, well, it's just going to take time. No, no, you don't say that. Yeah. The marketplace says that. You just keep pedaling as fast as you can pedal. Knock on the doors, man. I, I mean, I started my business with a $20 loan from a buddy of mine that told me to get out of his house. And I and, and I, I literally was like, but, 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 but. And, and dude, I just went out and knocked on the doors and pounded until my knuckles bled and kept going after that. So that's, you're right, man. There, it's. I believe our buddy has a book called, it's called Work for a Reason. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. It's, yeah. uh, it's, and the thing is, it's not like you don't paint a picture, Kim, that it's terrible. No. That, oh, my gosh, you know, you just, no, no, no. It's just that you can't sit around and wallow in your own misery right. and believe that things are going to improve. I went through a little bit of that. You know, yeah. I was in movies with Leslie Nielsen and making a really good money being a, you know, when you're flying first class to go and do comedy gigs and you're in movies, I thought, okay, well, it'll just take me a year and I'll get the next thing started. So I underestimated the adjustment. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I suppose we're all guilty of, that we get to a, a level of success and we think, well, the next thing will be easier because of what I've learned. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Kinda. <laughs> You're right. Dude, I, I'm, I, first off, I'm really, really grateful to Larry for introducing us. You're, you're an awesome dude. I'm, I'm so, uh, 
So I got to I'm going to I'm going to have to go find one of my stalkers and delete them from Facebook so I can I can add you as a friend. But um, the you know, thank you, man. Thank you. Hold your book up so I can so I can uh, command everybody. Go get this book today so you can It'll learn how it. to do business better. It'll save you a lot of time. As we always say, you're probably already successful. You probably, if you're making it on your own, you're successful. But for 18 bucks and three hours of your time, I can show you how to maybe be a bit better at a few things. And and you also, everybody go follow. And, and I'll try to, I'll post some links here in a little bit. But follow, your, you have a podcast called Do Business Better. Yeah, um, I really so, would like your people to listen to that. What's that now? Yeah, I'd like your people to listen. Definitely. The Do Business Better podcast. We got good guests. You're going to be a guest. You don't know yet. You're going to be a guest coming up. I'd love to be a guest, but make sure that that you go. Make sure you go. And I'm going to put the link into your podcast here in a little bit. I'll find it and drop it in. But everybody, make sure you go subscribe to his podcast. Follow this dude and go get the book for the love of God. Eighteen dollars is not going to end your life. Go get it. Unless you're not going to read it, then just save your money for your electric bill or something. But read the book and apply the principles. Go get it. Damien, thank you so much. I appreciate you being a guest on the show. You guys have an awesome day. Go follow this dude. Go follow him, DamienMason.com. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Ken. Don't, don't hang up on Skype. <laughs> we'll see you guys later.